Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. We've talked about it in human experimentation and animal experimentation and in bringing back extinct species. And it seems like, Nick, to be honest with you, comes up in just about every episode. It's a keystone in all these circles. CRISPR will be the technology that saves us or the technology that dooms us. But before we get into it, Nick, how are you doing and what are you drinking? I am doing, well, I'm under the weather if I don't sound the same, but uh, still drinking some dead guy ale as per usual. What about you, Mike? What are you drinking? Uh... Well, I'm drinking something that might mutate me. I'm drinking some whiskey from Cleveland. So we'll see how that one goes. Some Cleveland Underground. I think it's from Cleveland. If not, their name's very misleading. Uh, but uh, So underground, it's not even in Cleveland. <laughs> well, does anything want to be in Cleveland? Uh, not most major sports teams. <laughs> oh, you with a sports joke. was not expecting that one. And uh, Nick, uh, once again, this uh, I hate you because there's a lot of scientific names and my English, no good. <laughs> so Mike's going to continue the rest of this podcast in Spanish because <laughs> apparently he's better at some other language, just not his own. No, I'm, 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 I'm at the back end of the bell curve when it comes to language skills, but uh, some base knowledge before we get deep into the podcast. DNA. Nick, a little uh, eighth grade chemistry and biology do you remember what dna stands for deoxyribonucleic acid oh fuck me what about rna was not expecting that answer something with an r nucleic acid uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh ribonucleic yeah, acid fuck. god damn it was uh i was gonna grill you um, i knew not to look that up shit what about can you tell the difference between dna and rna the like if there's the letters, like if I'm looking at them, or what is the difference in function? Let's start with because the DNA What's... has two strands, right? RNA only has one strand. Yes, most often RNA only has one strand. And wow, Nick, you're on the ball today. Uh... Yeah, I took biology in high school, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, Nick, since you're so good at remembering from high school stuff, technically this did come out or was announced publicly on. Actually, this is all technically before even we went to high school. Do you know what CRISPR stands for? Oh man! As you it's, as you quickly type into Google, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's Nick. on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to be able to pull it out. Okay. Uh, well, that's oh, there's there's a joke there. It is uh, CRISPR stands for clustered regularly interspaced short panelodromic repeats. Just kidding. It was not on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. And I think the best way to start about CRISPR is maybe start from the beginning. And in 1987, a Japanese student by the name of Yoshizuma Ishuno found a repeating section of DNA in bacteria. But with technology being slower back then, sequencing the DNA would be put on the back burner. You gotta imagine, this is late 80s. Uh, computers are a luxury, not everywhere. And not good. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not good by yeah. our standards. Then, in the early 
1990s, a Spanish student, Francisco Mocha, also noticed a repeating sequence in the same DNA. Fast forward to 2003, DNA sequencing technology vastly improved. Francisco used this advancement technology to investigate the repeating sequence. Now, this all might sound simple to you, like how hard is it to sort through DNA? It's only four letters, and they can be on and off, stuff like that. Uh, there are 3.2 billion pairs in human DNA. 6.4 billion letters are R46 chromosomes. Technology was definitely needed. Little sidebar, Nick. I was researching. You know what the simplest creature scientists ever created? You know how many uh, genes that creature had? Mm, if I throw out a random number, how close do you think I'll be? I'll give you a hint. It's between zero and a thousand. Three hundred nineteen. Not too far off. Four hundred seventy-three. <sighs> I was gonna guess four twenty. That's oh, my first guess. Damn. Well, four seventy-three seems to be close to, if not the lowest number possible for life, which is quite interesting. But with this new technology and all this DNA, I mean everything living has DNA. Technology was definitely needed, and by 2010, scientists started to understand the repeating process found by the Japanese student in bacteria. This is where the path diverges and gets complicated. In 2011, Jennifer Doudna, Doudna from Berkeley and Emmanuel Carpentier from the University of Vienna decided together, let's work on this. They work on the sequence of DNA. They decided to work on CRISPR, a relative unknown phenomenon laying in wait. Now, near or at the same time, you have other people also working on CRISPR on different paths. You have Virginius Skiskisny, a Lithuanian scientist, and you also have a team composed of George Church from Harvard and Feng Zhang from MIT. What? I think from what I understand from Doudna getting into CRISPR is they were looking at, I guess what I guess what you said, but just expanding on it, they were looking at the RNA. They didn't necessarily know that CRISPR was involved. They were just curious of why this was happening, which led to... I'll be honest with you, Nick. I actually did not know why they got involved with CRISPR. I just know that they decided to work together. So if you have any more information... Well, I guess that was the extent me. of the information, pretty much. It's just... Or at least for, for Jennifer, she, from what I understand, listening to interviews from Walter Isaacson, who wrote the book Code Breakers on her and CRISPR, is that she was researching why they were finding this certain thing, which led them to figure out that CRISPR could insert, or was, edit, was doing gene editing, and then that led to her being involved in CRISPR. She didn't get into CRISPR purposely, kind of accidentally. Well, I imagine that small caveat of a field i mean imagine you don't get into things accidentally but that wow that that's interesting just like it almost like rediscovering it well anyhow emanuela and jennifer would publish in june 2012 skiskini would also publish near a similar time but his paper was rejected a couple times and wouldn't be published until months later also in 2012 zhang and church would publish a legal battle over the patents would get complicated, but I don't want to get into that just yet. But before I get into the patents, or if we even have time to get into the patents, I want to focus on actual CRISPR, how it is used and how it is made and how it even works. And I think how it works might be a good place to start. So 
in bacteria, just all bacteria in general, and yes, Nick, I am generalizing, they are in a constant struggle to live. And one of their biggest enemies, much like humans, are viruses. So bacteria, in order to fight viruses, produce enzymes. And in this epic battle, they'll fight to the death. And due to the size of the bacteria, they have to be fast and efficient when fighting. Now, this is not seek and destroy. This is more like withstand a siege. So a virus may enter a bacteria and the bacteria instantly has to figure out where the virus is, what the sequence of the virus is, and to kill it. This protein, this enzyme bacteria produces is Cas9, Cas-9. Now, how CRISPR actually works is kind of similar to bacteria of how it removes the virus. Though, we kind of modified it a little bit. See, it's a combo of Cas9 and an RNA, RNA molecule. They are combined, and how it works is Cas9 is sent to a specific geome, and using the RNA, it looks for that match. They attach, Cas9 then cuts the DNA, and the RNA, which we can program, we can make, switches and smooths out the cut. Now, usually, CRISPR is administrated through adeno-associated virus vectors, or AAV vectors, because I don't want to say that every time if we ever talk about inputting COVID into people. But the CRISPR goes through the cell, or through the body, depending on how CRISPR is being used. The RNA finds the matching sequence. CRISPR then wraps around. Cas9 cuts, RNA replaces. But CRISPR doesn't just have to cut and replace. You can also change a gene, silence a gene, and promote a gene. All three, which I'll talk about later, but the biggest one everyone probably is thinking of is slicing DNA or silencing DNA. Yeah, uh, for dum-dums out there like me, I just think of it as like the right click in Excel. <laughs> you can take out, you cut, copy, paste, <laughs> insert. Well, it's exactly like that, but you got to do control F before you copy. Okay, so control F. On Windows, for all you Apple people, switch over to Windows, or actually switch over to Linux, fuck big companies. Uh, Control F to search for a specific word. You find that specific word, you copy, you cut, you paste. That's that's the layman's analogy, I right, guess. Right, because it has to go in like the certain spot. So I think we did a really good explanation combined. It, it took two of us to get there. <laughs> It's a, it's a complex aftermath, but to I'll be honest with you, the actual process is pretty simple. Though, as a mechanical engineer, we're in biology and chemistry, so all of it hurts my mind. And anytime you modify genetics or organisms, hell, just biology in general, my mind goes... Well, biology, I, I, I enjoy biology more than I enjoy physics, so... I'll try and help you out the best I can, Mike. Cool. I'll try to ruin uh, biology for you. Hey, Nick, do you know what the different types of CRISPR are? Do you want me to name all of them? Because I am not going to. But I know there's a, a couple, and they're all essentially the same, but they're all different, and it's going to massively complicate the legality of different people and companies using all of them. Oh, I wasn't getting to the legality part. I was going to talk just about the different types of CRISPR, mainly class one and class two. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, because there's like the 
the cast nine, but then there's like a, a something thirteen. Uh, yeah, there's cast thirteen, and then there's CPF one. Yes, those are like the main ones. All right, so keep going with one and two. Okay, so CRISPR is a general term. It's like a a car. If you just say a car, it just means a general term. That's kind of CRISPR. When you start getting the specifics of is this where how it's being introduced, what's in CRISPR, then it starts changing to make and model. So a way to think about it is there are two classes in CRISPR. That's just a very generalized statement. If you want to be nitpicky, you could say there's more, but for the most part, there's two you got classes. Your gas and you class got your electric. Yes, that's that's actually the analogy I was going to use. Perfect. So class one is to me the electric vehicle. Class 1 CRISPR has multiple subunits. So think of it of like different types of batteries in the car. Some of them are lithium, some are lead acid. That's kind of class 1. Then you have class 2, which is a single large protein. So that's your that's your gasoline car that's just very bin, bare minimum like I'm talking like 65 Mustang. Like it's just an engine, a transmission, and if you're lucky, someone actually put an exhaust on it. It's pretty just a giant block of metal, but in this case, it's a giant block of RNA and bacteria. Or sorry, I should say enzymes. Now, the main difference between class 1 and class 2 is what you were saying, Nick, is the Ken's enzymes, sometimes being CPF1, can cut where CRISPR can't. And then you have Cas. 13, which can cut RNA instead of DNA. Like we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, your DNA is your blueprint. Your RNA is your instructions. So your DNA is like the original copy. RNA is like, okay, the, yeah. No, I would say your DNA is like your blueprint and your RNA are the IKEA instructions. So the blueprint is like how to manufacture the furniture. RNA is how to assemble the furniture. I think that's a simple enough analogy that kind of works with that. Yes. Before we get too far away from the different types of cast, I was going to talk about why CRISPR is so important to humanity at the moment. Yeah, go ahead. Well, CRISPR has this very unique feature. Like I mentioned, it wasn't just cutting and replacing, but it can turn off and turn on. Uh, and based on your lifestyle, different genes constantly turn off. Your body is more like a Christmas tree light than you think. Based if you're what you're eating, how active you are, your depression, if you're happy, if you're uh, going through high stress, if you're going through low stress, if all those things change your genes. Some turn on, some turn off. But something that you can't help is many diseases are inherited. More than 10,000 diseases are passed on through humans breeding alone. And CRISPR is a new way of gene editing, which requires minimal cost. It actually might be safer than our old methods. Our old methods kind of being brutal. And as we get into talking about it, it might be a implementation where you don't have to catch it early in your disease. You can catch it whenever you want. But it's all complicated. And it's especially complicated because in 2018, in my opinion, a scientist went too far. A he, Janikin, in 2008, altered embryos using CRISPR. He did this, he says he did this because the fathers of these mothers had HIV, so he wanted to make uh, HIV-resistant babies, give them a better life. He was also thinking about the Nobel Prize. I think he kind of did it more in self-interest more than the benefit of humanity. But either way, 
a pair of twins were born, followed by a different woman, a third child being born, all modified using CRISPR to make the babies HIV resistant. Though the child's names are hidden, which I think is a good thing, we don't know if they're actually HIV resistant. And fun fact, Nick, uh, that scientist was sentenced and in prison until this April where he was released. And he apparently has been meeting with investors to start a designer baby baby company. Well, that's I feel like that's not too surprising. I mean, we all saw the writing on the wall of, of this coming. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't listened to our human experimentation law, the biggest thing that probably I've learned is there's pretty much not a lot of laws on human experimentation. And honestly, in the United States, I feel like the only real law is don't touch embryos without the FDA approval, as bad as that might sound. And I, I guess I want to point out that there's a lot of experimentation that does take place with embryos, but most of it, I, I, the majority of it, they're not carried to term, right? Like they're just experimented with and then they they let, they let just get rid of them. See, see if well, they... Well, you do get man bear pig. Well, that, this is how you get man bear pig. <laughs> no, we have man bear pig. If you remember when recording human experimentation, we have, we quite literally have man pig. All we're missing is bear. I mean, Al Gore warned us. <laughs> he was super serial, guys. After he created the internet, he warned us. <laughs> oh, that's... That's one thing you keep saying that drives me absolutely insane, but I find it absolutely hilarious at the same time. For for those of you who don't know, I think we talked about this on the internet one, but Al Gore helped fund the research that led to the internet, but he had no part in any of that. So, <laughs> and, and by say he helped fund it, he used taxpayer dollars, so we helped fund it. So, I mean, we created the internet. But that's not what we're talking about right now. No, but with the internet, it's definitely helped CRISPR definitely explode. Uh, kind of back traveling a little bit, speaking with embryos and the different types of CRISPR. So the reason why I mentioned the CPF1 and the Cas13 and then the original CRISPR being Cas9, all those protein enzymes, they cut DNA. They, they're, they're able to slice through DNA or RNA without causing damage to allow so it's like um if nick have you ever seen those planes who get refueled in flight yeah that's what my dad did oh well uh i thought he was artillery for for some reason uh Qu quite the opposite of that yeah i i don't i don't know i i i don't know yeah, Late, I remember, later I know later in his I don't career know why. he did stuff like similar to that but gotcha that's probably what i was thinking of but if you think of a fighter pilot getting refueled by a plane in the air, that's kind of how CRISPR works. Your Cas9 is that plane that's going to refuel the jet. And the RNA is the gasoline that fills up that. So your original jet being the fighter pilot, uh, might, I might be just making this analogy because I have Top Gun on my mind. Uh, but RNAs has, uh, sorry, CRISPR has the amazing ability to cut like a pair of scissors a exacto blade without unraveling dna and i'm an idiot and it still utterly shocks me and, and my my jaw actually drops to when i think about how crazy that is the blueprint which is you is cut but fast forwarding 
sorry, that was just my amazement of the protein enzymes. But all these different protein enzymes, the Cas13, Cas9, CPF1, they're all able, there are different tools in the toolbox. They're all able to do things other ones can't. Cas13 cutting RNA rather than DNA, which might be important later on because we might want to modify RNA for a disease but not have it genetically passed on. CPF1, which can cut where CRISPR can't, so certain diseases can't. All this is very important, especially when you're talking about embryos and designer babies. If you know the DNA sequence of both the father and the mother, you know that because those two genes mixing together that the child's more likely to develop sickle disease or cancer or some other horrible disease, you could be able to turn it off so it never happens before the baby's even born. That's that's straight out of Gattaca and that straight hurts my brain, Nick. Yeah. I mean that's what I mean but that's that's awesome and scary at the same time. Well, I think most of the world at the moment is more scared of it. I mean, dramatic Engineering has been banned and restricted in Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, France, Germany, Israel, the Netherlands, and the UK, and probably other countries, not China, but dozens of other countries. So I think people are scared of its amazing power. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to get into that, or do you want to keep talking about what it is? Well, Nick, I (laughs) morality is high in the question. I want that to everyone to listen to, because we'll get to that in a bit. I want to hurt your brain more because it hurts my brain with biology. I want to hurt your name. I want to hurt your brain with patent laws because I somewhat understand those, even though I'm a fool with a capital F. But I kind of understand what's going on. And I want to also say, where as I can understand biology and you can understand math, the legality of things is just terrifying. It's this is going to get fucked up laws are stupid nick (laughs) that's all i can say it's laws are fucking stupid so all those teams researching publishing church jang uh jennifer Izu, all those all those people it all coming back and we're traveling back back to 2012 so oh okay sticking with 2012 the platin the patent laws for crispr i can't express enough our clusterfuck Duan and Carpentier applied for patents in 2012. In 2013, Zhang and Church applied for patents. MIT and Harvard, which is were backing Zhang and Church, paid to exip- expedite the patent process, which made their patents approved in April 2014. Duan and uh, Carpentier being like, what the fuck? Berkeley and Vienna, well, they pe- petitioned for patent interference. After many times of being denied and trying to repeal their denial, they finally got to present their case. The U.S. Patent Office, I want to clarify this is U.S., Europe is still up for grabs. The U.S. Patent Office ruled in Harvard and MIT's favor. And the reason why, it might be splitting hairs, but I'll let you decide. So Jennifer and Emmanuel patents used prokaryotic cells while Zhang and Church use prokaryotic and eukaryotic. There you go. That's why I keep you around. Now, this is an important reason or a dumb reason. The reason why those cells are important is eukaryotic. How do you pronounce it again, Nick? Eukaryotic. Eukaryotic cells pretty much means that CRISPR will work on humans. 
and that's what Zhang and Church showed. Jennifer and Yumel showed prokaryotic cells, which are mainly plants, and that's why there's separate patents. Berkeley and Vienna argued that it's a simple process between one to the other, and they all disagree. Like, so Harvard and MIT disagree that it's a simple comparison one-on-one. So it's like uh, Berkeley and Vienna are arguing that they, all right, we'll, we'll switch it to beer. So pretty much they're arguing how to get the beer open. Is it a screw tap or do you, uh, or do you need a bottle opener? That's pretty much what they're arguing about for CRISPR. And patent office in the U.S. seems to agree with Harvard and MIT that it is extremely different, a twist-off or a bottle-opened beer. And I want to point out that the different labs that are backing these are all receive federal funding. And I know there's private partners, but... To me, it seems kind of ridiculous that we're having a bunch of somewhat publicly funded research f- fighting with each other so much. Oh, this is all big money. Uh, and also, I am i don't know if the scientists actually get any royalties for this. I think it might just go to all the universities. I could be mistaken. No, I, I think it does just go to the universities. I don't think they get... Then what the fuck? These are, they're, they're, these are three out of four universities that are all U.S. of A. Why is that not just all free? For the United States. That's what I couldn't find. That's what I was trying to figure out. But I think because from what I, this is my inference, is because some of the research was helped funded by private companies. It's supposed to be kind of a joint public-private cooperation so that those private companies can use those patents. But you know, you know what I would do? I would just... I would just have them be those private companies be free f- to use, like they don't have to pay royalties for using them. That's just me. Yeah, that's an that's an easy solution. But I I I don't really know how I feel, and this is getting a little off topic about private industry or public research institutes, mostly like UC Berkeley. I Harvard receives you know seventy percent of their funding comes from the government, so but you could still technically say they're private, I guess, about how public institutes helping private industry in this way. I mean, they're supposed to help private industry, you know, they're supposed to help the American people through their research, but it feels more like they're just working for companies at this point than they are people. So it's just kind of, it's kind of confusing and I don't know. I don't like it. It feels dirty. To be honest with you, Nick, it feels like universities are contractors. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like that we pay for. Honestly, I would just give all four of them patents and just or just be like, you're all right. You're all even across the board. All of you shut the fuck up. That's what I would have done. But not the U.S. Patent Office. Again, Europe is still up for grab. Well, in the way in the way that there's the International Patent Agency that once you file a patent with the U.S., you get a patent internationally in all these countries, but you have to actually file that patent in those countries, but you get a patent pending in all the other countries until you do. That's actually dependent on what type of patent it is. Okay. So there, if I remember correctly, there are three types of patents. There's like the chemistry one, there's intellectual one, and there's like a physical thing one. And I'm not quite sure which one of those, uh, the, this, CRISPR falls underneath with those three patents. I feel like it falls underneath all three, but I don't 
I don't actually know. Well, I know I know whatever it falls under for CRISPR that these patents are technically patent pending in all the other countries as long as the companies choose to activate them. They can, from what I understand. Well, so whichever one that would it doesn't be. matter if it's if it's it doesn't matter if it's China because they're not well, going to patent laws. That's that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, I'm I'm I'll be honest. I'm still just angry. Like I understand you're trying to help possible HIV babies, but it really feels like dirty. Like the universities and private institutions feel dirty, but experimenting on pregnant women feels extra dirty to me. Well, that's a big theme in human experimentation, isn't it? Oh yeah, twins and pregnant people. It comes up a lot in human experimentation. Uh, but uh, I did find it kind of funny is that uh, Jennifer and Amelia both won together the Nobel Pri- Peace Prize for in in the scientific field, the Nobel Prize. Which I feel like if you win the Nobel Prize for it, you kind of deserve the rights to it. But I'm not sure if the Nobel Prize is just a consolation prize. Yeah, and I don't know how political that is. So I. With all those awards and prizes, you just you never know. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's definitely going to be political. <laughs> There's a lot of money on the line. But, you know, kind of sticking with Harvard and Berkeley, Nick, do you know about Berkeley's binding hormone experiment or Harvard's quote-unquote camera experiment? What's the camera experiment? So this is all using CRISPR. The acronym for it is CAMERA, I believe, or the project name is CAMERA. I can't remember which. But at Harvard, Dr. Uh, David Liu is making CRISPR into a camera. It will be CRISPR, so it can find the specific RNA or DNA. And, and instead of cutting, it goes to the cell or the area and records whatever it's attached to its entire life, like a time-lapse recording of the cell. Now, this has huge implementations especially when you're talking about experimental drugs like imagine if i'm giving i don't know say you have leukemia nick and i'm giving an experimental drug well i want to know how it actually affects your cells well instead of giving a radioactive isotope which i can study underneath you know machinery i can just hit you with a biological camera to record your cells how it actually works i have no fucking idea that when you get start getting to biology, I, I, you start losing me a little bit. And going back to Berkeley, uh, Berkeley, if I understood correctly, are conducting experiments with bonding certain hormones to Cas9. And the reason why this is kind of interesting is if you gave someone CRISPR as a child to clear their disease, or their disease won't be activated until puberty, which is actually very common for a lot of diseases. A lot of stuff doesn't happen until you hit puberty. The Cas9, the CRISPR, won't activate until certain hormones are activated. So not until you hit puberty does CRIP, does the genes activate until CRISPR activates. So that's like a delayed response. Yeah, but that's like, that's really fucking weird. The, the, the camera and the time bomb, the time bomb is not the appropriate word, but comes to my mind, of two different types of CRISPRs really fuck with my brain. Yeah, that's great. I always thought of it as being a pretty quick thing, like it's one and done, not really a delayed response. But I guess the question: what do you, what do you what's the benefit of what's the benefit of waiting? Uh, well, I think if I I don't I I don't know their reasoning, but if I had to make an educated guess, I imagine the CRISPR would remain dormant and would not activate until your disease pops up. So, say um, 
I don't know. Say your pituitary gland is uh, is enlarged and produces more t- t- testosterone. Until your body reaches a certain amount of testosterone, CRISPR won't active activate, so it'll sh- shut off that gene to that's making you produce so much testosterone. I can I can see that, but again, a lot of diseases don't happen until puberty. I mean, one of mine didn't happen until puberty. It's it's when your body's going through those metamorphoses that different things happen. It could be like a, a safety switch, like don't use CRISPR unless X happens. Well, X happens during puberty, during these hormonal stages, hit it. Or maybe, or maybe I don't. I this is these are all just wild guesses. Maybe during your puberty stages is the best time to change your genes because you're going through a transmorph like a, a metamorphosis, for lack of better words. So maybe with all those different chemicals, you're able to manipulate the body more or less. Not quite sure. That's just a guess. I mean, that that sounds reasonable. I, I could understand that. I mean, you'd think, I'm I, way outside my area of expertise, but you would think doing it initially would be better, but I can also see how, you know, there's certain parts of your genetic code that probably don't get activated until puberty, so I guess you could wait and do it. I, it seems, I don't know, in my mind, it seems like something that it's cool, but what's the application, I guess? This is straight out of left field and this is just all hypothetical but i'm also imagining for a soldier that you could implement different crispr to different parts of his organs so say if he gets hits in the lung crispr will activate and have a sequence that makes you rebuild lungs because we're already changing pigs to humans for organ transplants using crispr so why can't we do it in our own body of like, hey, you didn't stop growing when you're 25 or 26. You actually can continue to uh, still grow. We just have to change, trick your DNA to say you're actually younger. or So it's not until that and giant stress factor happens or, uh, I don't know, something something along those lines. I find it all interesting. And also the camera one I find super fascinating because I don't understand how a protein enzyme can record what the fuck is happening in a cell. I don't understand the science of how a protein records what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't have that answer. It's, you kind of left it <laughs> oh, open-ended. Darn. But uh, could not tell you. But you know what the main things we are using CRISPR for, Nick, besides, you know... On humans or... Just in general. Uh, plants, I would guess. Yeah, uh, we're changing plants... Food, because well, I know kind of falls in uh, a company Corteva that has a patent on CRISPR for plants, and they're an they're an herbicide company. I'm, I work with those guys. Well, obviously not the CRISPR people, but they're Corteva reps. I'm familiar with that company, and I know that's going to be a huge. I mean, everyone has seen like the genetically modified crops, and it, you know, have your. We did an episode on that if you're interested, but I think that's going to be a bigger application because at least in in my world all the cool stuff goes to ag first and then it comes to everyone else because that's where the money is and i think there's a lot of money in that and i think the example that we used um is taking a i want to say it was for wheat but taking a rust resistant protein from or a piece of rust resistance oh from wheat and putting it into i want to say what roast chestnuts roasting on open fire chestnuts uh, the american chestnut tree to help it uh overcome and introduced blight that's what i'm most familiar with 
but I think, and, and that's just for conservation, it's chestnut tree is not a huge crop tree, but I think there's a ton of application when it comes to coating plants to be resistant to certain diseases. Yeah, they're also like modifying food to be grown in different regions. And the one that kind of pisses me off the most is they're simply using CRISPR to change the color of flowers. So you'll have different colored roses. I don't know if this is just an experiment or this is an actual business idea, but that kind of pisses me off where you have the literal hand of God to change something to anything you want and you simply change the color. That kind of pisses me off, Nick. So we can finally get black tulips. Do, do you remember, did we talk about this when we were talking about? Okay. No. So in, oh gosh, a long, it's the Dutch, I want to say. <laughs> long ago in a distant galaxy far, far away. Uh, but that's where all the tulip fields are, right? Yes. And Nick, you know how I feel about the Dutch, <laughs> right? I If there's two things I hate in this world, it's people who are intolerant of other cultures and the Dutch. Oh, Austin Powers will forever live on. So... But uh, their tulips were a hot commodity. When I say hot commodity, like everyone grew their own tulips. People won prizes. People still do. People won prizes for the best tulips. And they were trying to change the colors. And the the goal was a black tulip. And people would do all sorts of things like put charcoal in the soil, like all of this stuff. There's a prize that the some royal put out, you know, would a ton of money to whoever blew, grew a black tulip. But all the tulips being grown everywhere led to disease that turned the tulips black and then killed them. So they did get the first black tulip and everyone's like, what? This is insane. Like they did it. And then the tulips all died because it was a disease. But this way we could do black tulips without the tulips dying, ideally. So you could get the black tulip. That is an interesting tidbit. I did not There's know. There's a whole book written about like hypothetically if a guy... Like he grew, he grew the black tulip and it was like a murder, but it was like a people murdered in the book. Like there was, they murdered the guy so they could steal it. And it was a whole thing. I mean, it's, it was a craze. I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, but also speaking of death, uh, not the best transition I've ever had, but another big thing that they're trying to use CRISPR for is eliminating mosquitoes, just simply getting rid of them or getting rid of the diseases they carry, which I don't know where they plan on using this because if they pl they plan on using it in the USA, a lot of the mosquitoes that carry diseases is because the U.S. government dropped mosquito bombs on its own self. So it's like you better fucking fix your mistakes. Well, we're trying, but yeah, I I have heard about that trying to get rid of the genetics of mosquitoes, allow them to carry certain diseases, so that we can wipe them wipe them out. I getting rid of mosquitoes is not the answer because you can't just remove one whole part of an ecosystem however terrible they are trust me sure we can if there's any insect i'd want off this earth it's ticks but they do play a role which would have far-reaching effects and wouldn't be ideal for the environment as much as much as i would love to never have to worry about getting lyme disease as someone who's picked multiple ticks off them this week because I work in the woods. Well, it sounds like you need to get CRISPR because with CRISPR, you might be able to cure Lyme disease. No, what, I mean, true. But what I really want is that thing that cats and dogs have where you just rub it on the back of your neck and don't have to worry about it. I don't know how cats and dogs have that, but I don't. <laughs> well, we, we can still put a collar on you just yet. But speaking of animals and something that they have that we don't, and sticking with CRISPR... 
I want to talk about telomeres, which... Telomeres? Telomeres? Yeah. Telomeres. I want to talk about telomeres because they are an interesting field, and it seems like a very interesting Venn diagram of telomeres overlapping with CRISPR and with cancer and with the animal kingdom, Nick. So with telomeres, those who aren't familiar, are pretty much the DNA's protecting coding. So... Yeah, that's the best that's the best explanation I could do is their protective clothing. And they change with your age. So the shorter they are, the usually more aged you are. And the longer they are, usually the younger you are. But the longer the telomeres, the higher chance of cancer. So when you modify it, especially in mice, mice get a lot of cancer. But what's really weird is that whales have long telomeres and they don't get cancer. But with CRISPR, this could all change. So we might have the ability to change telomeres in humans, which will reverse the aging. And I think if I remember correctly, the most we've reversed aged a human being was 10 years. But with CRISPR, we can do it that we could do a decade or we could do even longer and use a CRISPR code to mitigate any cancers that pop up. So we might theoretically be able to reverse your age and make sure nothing bad happens to you once we reverse your age. Well, that's the dream. That's the that's the million dollar. I thought it was secure uh, male baldness, Nick. I thought that you were going to go with that joke. Well, I but, mean, that's uh... my dream. That's not the dream. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's also a multi million dollar well, <laughs> process. It's, it's a it's a it's a probably trillion dollar industry right now. I can't imagine. But you know, once <laughs> once you cure it, all those people are going to be looking for money somehow. True and. I found it very interesting. I don't know if you came across a company called Loyal, Nick. I did not. Loyal, from, uh, it, who was created by a Loyal, a startup company in Silicon Valley started by Celine Haleula, which I probably butchered. I apologize. What you do is pretty impressive. But she started a biotech company, developed drugs to extend a dog's lifespan. And along with uh, Nanobots, she's also working with CRISPR to extend the dog's lifespan. This is this might sound minute, uh, especially if you're not a dog owner. But one, you want your pets to live as long as you can. But two, dogs and humans aren't that different. So this might be a stepping stone of like, hey, let's figure out dogs, then we can just switch over to humans. I mean. <laughs> If you could extend a dog's life, I think people might even pay more than that for extending a human's life. Yeah, I know. She's very interesting uh, woman, and she's also our age, Nick, so that makes me feel sad that I have done far less with my life. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a very interesting concept. Start small with animal experimentations, which is sending animal life using CRISPR, and then maybe move on to humans. But that technology that she's using... Nick, we mean you can order it right now. CRISPR is not this big thing where you need a bunch of permits from, not be a big company, need a lot of money. You can just order CRISPR and using some software, make what you want to make. Now, I can't guarantee it'll work, but it's based on you and your science. And I don't know if you want to switch into the backyard CRISPR. Yeah, that seems like the perfect time to talk about CRISPR in the garage. Well... The companies I'm talking about are like Odin or Gene Universal. Odin is a company which can sell an at-home CRISPR kit for about 200 bucks, And Gene Universal is a private gene synthesis company. And there are a dozen other programs like on SourceForge and stuff like that. 
that you can do CRISPR at home. Again, CRISPR, CRISPR founded all those patents in 2012. It's a relatively cheap and efficient. Uh, it's just how simple it is, but yet how complex it can do is absolutely amazing. And it's at the very edge of our fingerprints, fingerprints, at the very edge of our fingertips. And I want to get your initial reaction on it, Nick, about at-home CRISPR first. So uh, your question is, how do I feel about people being able to use this? Because it, it is a, when I say relatively simple, I mean, it's, yeah, it's something people can do in their garage affordably. Not that that means that I understand it at all or that I could do it, but I am for and against it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I'm. I like the idea of people being able to experiment with it, but at the same time, it's terrifying because people can experiment with gene editing. So I uh, essentially have no opinion in all the opinions. <laughs> <laughs> you're hot and you're cold and you're yes and you're no. Um, I'm also torn, but my initial reaction is good. Let it be in the hands of the people rather than private institutions. Um the main reason why, even though it is a dual-edged sword and could be dangerous, the main reason why I think it'd be better for the people to have is, again, you got you to gotta use your brain power to be able to use it. Like, it's not like, uh, we say it's like copy and paste in a Word document, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. So it, there is a bit of a learning curve, which makes me feel like it's going to deter a lot of idiots who think they can just give themselves superhero powers. But... At the same time, I have seen people turn their dogs to clone the dark dogs, I guess is the best way to describe it. Or like the founder of Odin inject himself with a muscle growing protein in the hope for bigger arms. It's mixed reviews, but I think the rewards out out compete the risks. Yeah. And I guess, like you said, my point would be the more people experimenting, the more likely you are to have innovation and you're more likely to advance this sooner and make it cheaper for everybody, which is why I'm in favor. But you can do a lot of crazy things with it. So it's kind of like, is this something I want everyone to be able to have? Yes and no. <laughs> this is above, I guess, each each person going to have to make their decision. But I guess the matter is, it, it is out there and it is being done. So it, we're kind of past that point. Well, we're not quite past that point because there are um, governments, and the U.S. government is one of them, trying to make it hard, if not impossible, for the everyday citizen to buy or use CRISPR, which I'm not quite sure how I feel about the government trying to regulate science. Especially, I understand they're trying to regulate backyard science, not you know laboratory science, but if, you, uh, if you're able to do it in your garage... And able to, I don't know, it almost seems like uh, more computing power if you're trying to solve a problem. Like, oh, you're trying to solve cancer? Have 5 million people instead of like 100,000 people trying to solve it. That seems a little bit more logical in, in my mind. But again, Nick, it only takes one crazy son of a bitch to ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, and, that, and that's the problem with super strict regulation, right? Is if we don't allow people to do it here, they're just going to go to other countries and do it with way less regulation, which is why I don't think a, an outright ban or super strict regulations is the answer. Yeah, they they don't want to do it. If they can't do it here, they'll just go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, because I, there's countries who would be more than happy to have people doing this, and then, then we lose out here. Yeah, I think we need to have some incentive 
to encourage innovation in the United States. We shouldn't make it too hard to do business here. And they, and this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but if you don't let people do it here, like I said, they're going to go somewhere else. And not only that, people are doing it in other places too. And so you don't want to lose out and be behind the curve because we just said, nope, we're not doing that. Is it bad? I'm thinking at the same time making Captain America, but also at the same time I'm thinking of in China when they made the modified embryos and gave birth to the children. I was going to say it's like making Captain America or making Homelander. That's a much better analogy. And yes, that is, oh God, that one. Oh God. Yeah, that's that's a scary thought. That's a really scary thought. But I understand why there's some concern for regulations. One, not just the weapons of mass destruction because you could possibly make a disease that can kill everyone. But also, if you're making a disease with CRISPR, it's man-made. It's usually easier to cure than if Mother Nature makes it because Mother Nature is a metal son of a bitch. So that's kind of a good sign. But with CRISPR, just in general, not even at home, that it's a light switch. So like I said, when you're fat or when you're eating healthy or if you're stressed or if you're at calm, you have different genes turn on and off. We're not quite sure with CRISPR if we implement that procedure on if we turn off, say, you know, some part of your sequence of DNA that it turns off and it uh, it might turn something else on that might be more even deadly. Uh, there's no undo button yet, Nick, no control Z. But they are working on trying to have an undo button for CRISPR, which I thought was interesting. And probably one of the biggest ones I ever saw was CRISPR may pass on genetically. And I don't know if you want to exactly get into that. I mean, I guess, yeah, if you change the genetics, you're going to pass on those genetics. I I thought that was kind of understood. I mean, I guess I don't know what the... Because the idea in, I guess, this... Ideally, you know, speaking in broad terms, what we're going to do initially is turn off the bad genes, right? The stuff that allows you to get certain diseases, we assume, like that's the goal. And the the caveat to that is we don't exactly know what turning off those genes will do to a person. So if you turn off those genes, are you going to make them susceptible to something else? Are you going to fuck up something else in their life? And then those genes are going to be passed on. So I guess, you know, if you're doing it in that sense, you're going from one fucked up situation to another. And I guess where the ethical dilemma is, is if you're doing like designer babies in a way where you're, oh, I want my child to not have, not lose his hair. Well, changing that, does that have another effect that we don't know about? If it does, it, it that's passed on. So I guess it, it gets ethically unclear when you start depending on what gene you're trying to, what physical trait you're trying to change the expression of. Yes, I agree, but a couple things I want to add on is, one, I am scared that I'm talking, this is way down the line, like I'm talking another 5,000 years, humans become a monoculture like bananas. Two, most like inherited diseases, I believe, are dormant, so you need both parents to have them in order for it to happen. So it's already a subdormant gene, and modifying a subdormant gene to be completely gone... That we were like, what made humans advance so much was the mutations we have. And if we start removing mutations, I don't know if we're going to keep evolving or advancing. I mean, if you look over the past, you know, 1500 years, our brain technically shrunk, but got more dense. Like we're still evolving every single generation. And having that added non-natural DNA sequence in nature, it just seems like one, we're 
doing away with Darwinism. Two, we are like Jurassic Park. My only things we 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 kept doing, we never thought should we do it. And uh, three, we don't know the after effects. So like maybe uh, this is just this is just worst case scenario, all hypothetical. This is probably fictional, but I still want to say it. I can imagine a parent trying to save their kid. They tell the physicians to use CRISPR to turn off or cut or change or silence a certain sequence of their DNA. Kids healed. But because of that, kid lives on, passes on his genes, and meets another person with a specific disease, and the genomes just happen to match up to create a whole new disease. It's highly unlikely, but not improbable. But that's always going to be a problem with mixing genetics. I mean, that's the that's the the con side, right? The pro is you mix two people who are, you know, have comparable genetics or, you know, good genetics that are resistant to diseases and pass <laughs> comparable. it on. Are we in Alabama? <laughs> well, aren't you like at, at some level, don't you find a mate who has what you're attracted to them for part of the reason that like you recognize they have traits that you don't have or genetics that you don't have that will create like a, I, I thought I heard something in like science class where you're attracted to the pheromones of someone who has genetics that will help will match up with yours in some way or another not pheromones pheromones actually we look for similar pheromones but we do look for sim. we look for different dna we humans like being mutts we like mixing our dna as much as possible uh yeah that is because we because like much like dogs kind of bring it full circle a mutt is usually healthier than a pure breed because they mix dna they have usually the dominant geomes in each dna not the subdominant so it's able so the diseases are less likely to occur right and so i guess i'm not as concerned about that because that's always going to be a risk when two genetics are paired could it be more of a risk when you're highlighting certain traits possibly maybe even probably but that's i don't know i'm just not super concerned about that i i am i don't know why but the best analogy i can come up with in my mind is i'm imagining like a timeline and as soon as you add a synthetic or a modified DNA, it changes the timeline. It's no longer a consistent evolutionary basis. It's a modified evolutionary basis. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it, but I do say we should proceed with caution. Right. So what comes to my mind to help explain this is you're talking about you know random genetic breeding versus selected breeding. And when you select a breed for certain traits... Sometimes certain traits show themselves in ways they wouldn't. So like if you're doing a crop, let's say corn, and you're breeding for, you want it to be drought resistant and you want it to be produce good yield. But because of that, you know, it might be more resistant to rust. And as time and time goes on or, you know, whatever blight, whatever pest you're not as resistant to, now you have a lot of corn that's been bred for these certain traits, which we didn't know at the time are more susceptible and now that enough of these genetics are out there whatever pest can run through them because the pest is stronger enough to overcome whatever resistance they had or lost through the breeding yeah that's kind of optimistic but the pestment in me is going with your homelander analogy we already are trying for the last multiple decades trying to make a super soldier why would the government who has i mean we 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 have Tim Kennedy, Mike. I don't know what what more do you want from us. 
All right, touche, touche. But we've already seen the CIA with LSD and and the drug-induced programs that made tons of killers. Why would the CIA not mess around with CRISPR and try to make a super soldier or experiment on the general public without us knowing? Oh, well, you just got to trust the CIA, Mike. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's... I, I completely trust my government and all those overlords who rule over me. Thank you for letting me breathe another day. But another big thing is genetically, I'm also thinking of what happens when we start having designer babies or designing creatures. Like, I'll, Nick, I'll be honest with you. I can see people just deciding to change their skin pigmentation in blue just for shits and giggles. And then the genetically, they pass that on to their kids. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's it's kind of like, it's not, uh, it's like when uh, parents let their little kids dye their hair like crazy colors. Like, I, this might just be an Oregon thing. But when you see parents who have like a three or four year old with like crazy blue hair or pink hair, it's like, you know that kid's going to get made fun of. Especially when it's like a boy with like bright pink hair. It's like, what are you thinking? Like you're setting them up for failure. I was thinking of uh like like the name like their last their last names like uh Kirschkoff. So you name uh so you name them Josh. So when kids at school call them Josh jerks off, you know stuff like that. It's like when they then they name the names a little too easy to make fun of. Maybe maybe do that. But like I imagine people are going to do fads. I mean, look at tattoos. People do, uh, to tattoo their entire body like a tiger. They metamorphic their body to look like an animal. They tattoo their entire body to be black. They're going to, using CRISPR, and probably not in the far distant future, change it so they might have webbing in their fingers. They might have, uh, you know, different colored eyes than anything ever seen in the kingdom. They might change their pigmentation of their skin. They might, I, I don't, I don't honestly know what's going to happen but it doesn't seem fair that your genome you're modifying your genome so your kids will have it even if it wasn't their choice like it's one thing if it's your choice but when you start forcing it upon future generations that's when it sounds gets kind of iffy to me right and that's i'm glad you brought up fads and this kind of ties in a little bit to the ethics here it wasn't that long ago that people were discussing eugenics as a like normal thing, which now we can all agree that that's not good. Um, so eugenics was, you know, the idea of breeding good genes together to create a better human race. And it wasn't that long ago that people thought that that was a good idea. I mean, the, the best example of that would be the Germany in World War II, but it's popped up around from time to time since then. And the, you know, as as enlightened as humans think we are, I guess the idea is that it's easy to get sucked into a fad like you're talking about. And if we, when we start playing around with stuff like that, that there is the, and there is a worry. I think it's a well-founded worry that bad stuff could happen because we all bought into some fad. Yeah, I'm just imagining like early 2000s when everyone had bejazzled jeans but now just making your skin shiny like um like twilight that that's a very petrifying thing or may or and I'm not saying that you should but I can definitely see it happening but your buddy passes out in the dormitory so you think it's funny to 
to stick him with a modified DNA RNA sequence to so he has like bigger lips or something like that. That I can see absolutely fucking happening. Yeah, it's I didn't think about that. It's kind of it's funny. It's kind of funny until it actually happens and it's like, "Oh fuck." Like that belongs in a movie, not in reality. Pick pick your friends wisely, I guess. <laughs> very very true. But yeah, and that and then in going along with trends, the idea which which is more concerning not just the idea of eugenics but when you start talking about made to order genetics right like you're you're picking to lose or add certain things the concern is that most people will choose to pick similar traits like everyone wants their kids to be healthy but they also want their kids to be six two and strong ripped. they also want them to be tall wanted to have a good body and the thought is that by doing these things, you know, changing the genetics to achieve this ideal child that we're all going to remove a lot of diversity in human genetics. The counter argument to that is that not every single person wants the same thing in that whereas some people might be more worried about how intelligent their child is or versus, you know, how physically big they are. And, you know, certain families want certain things, prioritize different things because it's it's not going to be a oh like do you want your kid to be six feet tall or an idiot you know it's going to be do you want the expression to show you know him to be more musically inclined or or you know more math 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 mathematically inclined or do you want him to be more athletic you know we can express those genes but it doesn't mean he's going to be those I mean, once you start getting into those like behavioral characteristics and, and stuff like that, it's it's not as easy an expression as physical characteristics. But the fear with the physical characteristics is that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, like like you said, do you want like tall, strong, you know, and that it's going to remove a lot of diversity we have. And I could see it going either way. I could see everyone falling into, you know, like 60% of people all choose pretty similar genetics. Like we want, you know, we want our kids to be tall and strong and we want, you know, brown hair. We want, you know, the, the good, good vision. Or like Hitler wanted blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah. And so, but I also, I guess it's tough to gauge because I, I, I don't think the extent, I don't think you'll be able to pick and choose all of those. I think it'll be, we can kind of hope for these, these set of genes tend to express this but, you know, something could happen. I don't know. I, I kind of, I don't know what what I think would happen. I do think, um, so I, I guess the the idea is that modern, quote unquote, eugenics would be consumer driven based on what people want. And I do think that part of that is true. But at the same time, just think about like <laughs> the targeted ads you're getting. Each of us is getting individualized targeted ads because everyone's has different interests and different ideals and different values. And so I I think that there's a big enough difference in consumers that you wouldn't all get the same thing, but I think there's a big enough drive that most people would probably choose pretty similar traits, but I I I I wouldn't bet on either or. To add on to the fear Nick, cuz I always love doing that. Another concern of mine is when the government decides to or they they it's for the benefit, it's for the good of the people to CRISPR modify them so they have X, Y, and Z. No, we're doing it for your beneficial, for your benefit. We're doing it for the good of your community. That's also a big concern of me. Because you have no longer control. 
I don't know why, but it worries me that someone else may have control over my DNA. Not just like a sample where they can plant it. I'm talking about UCIA. I'm talking about actually modifying who I am on a biological level is terrifying to me. But pinpointing from that is kind of the brighter side of CRISPR, besides curing diseases, which is absolutely wonderful. Something which kind of connects a lot of different things that we've talked about, Nick, and something you might enjoy because it involves plants. One of my favorite YouTubers, Thought Emporium, made spider silk using yeast. My first reaction was, one, that's fucking awesome. Second, why not use that to as a manufacturing process? So, an example. Sunflowers are very good at pulling heavy metals from the ground. Why not modify CRISPR this... I'm sorry. Why not modify the sunflowers to using CRISPR so that all the heavy metals that they pull out of the ground all is located in one spot? So when you collect the sunflowers, it's easy to separate the metals from the flower so you can literally grow metals. Or just like uh, uh, Thorium did, well, why why not just create spider silk, which is one of the a very strong natural material. Why not have entire yeast farms growing that, a new type of fabric to grow? Why not modify already pre-existing organisms to be more beneficial? Like imagine modifying cow's milk to be more nutritious so less people starve to death. Why not, I don't know, have uh, certain types of plants that grow different types of, during different types of seasons? Like you have an apple tree that blooms in the spring, the summer and the fall so you have fresh fruit all year round you can easily do that with crispr you can change entire construction and manufacturing industries uh i'm trying to think of another example like um coral coral is kind of at danger and it's actually uh, not uh doing so well due to acidity and temperature in the ocean uh but why don't we mo- genetically modify coral to be resistant to that to not only resist that, but to thrive on that. And the more coral, the lo- and you know we keep them alive long enough, they'll eventually turn into limestone, which we can use. Or why not just have coral that has a shorter span that turns into limestone? So we can quite literally turn coral into an industry, a business. These are all easier said than done, but it has crossed my mind. Well, I guess that's the problem people have with CRISPR is that it can be used for pretty much anything and it can take everything we anything in the world to change it to how we want it and that's what's exciting and terrifying about it is that the possibilities are pretty much limited by imagination that excites me i'll be honest that statement alone excites me well i got two more things for you nick there's one thing i want to mention before this final question i have for you unless you have any more questions for me is back again 2012 2012 i swear nick the mayans got it wrong with 2012 it wasn't the end of the world it was the beginning of the end of the world because it seems like chris crisper comes around everything happens in 2012 uh in 2012 thorsten staffenforst from the university of tubingen in germany found that a different kind of crisper method by leaking enzymes and strands of rna that could reunite genes I'm sorry, rewrite genes. And I want to point this out because CRISPR might not be the only thing that can be in eugenics and might not be the only thing that can modify your DNA. 
there could be other things along the horizon. This is just the brightest star for right now. But my last question for you, Nick, is you have two two answers. With CRISPR, say anything's possible with your imagination. I within within reason. I don't I, I don't expect you to be able to fly. What are what is your realistic CRISPR expectation for modification for your own body and an unrealistic modification to your own body? I think realistic would be immunity from either ticks or poison oak. And then unrealistic would be the ability to regenerate uh what's the tissue in your knees so you want to be the wolverine but specifically for your knees yes that's not the worst that's a that's a pretty good one i didn't think about that being the wolverine is actually be pretty badass so what are what is your realistic what's your unrealistic my realistic is fix my heart my unrealistic it would probably have to do with my cognitive ability like be able to introduce photographic memory into into you know bring that forward because it, it that there's got to be some gene turned on and off with memory that allows us to remember certain things but they have the accessibility to back catalog quicker easier and better that very much appeals to me almost like uh you ever seen the movie limitless with uh bradley cooper yeah. I imagine limitless might not be a pill. It might be a needle with CRISPR in it. And that's probably my unrealistic one. But I'm not, I'm not going to lie, Nick. I still see all of them being somewhat possible. I agree. So I had a, a little bit more I want to talk about. So we, we kind of touched on this with a little bit. So we talked about how in China they had a, used CRISPR to affect humans and how that works and how the public perceived it is poorly we didn't humanity did not particularly care for using crispr to change genetics of humans quite yet and i think that crispr is kind of like the next manhattan project where you're damned if you do damned if you don't right because other countries are going to continue to research and invest and use this technology for good and bad and if we don't continue to research and use this technology for good and bad, we won't know how to counter the bad. So I, I think we're we're at a point where we, as much as we, we don't like it, but we need to continue our research into CRISPR because everyone else is and we need to stay ahead or on the curve. It was just kind of my, my thoughts on CRISPR overall, regardless of public opinion. No, I, I agree with you. I, no matter... If we agree with the policy or not, other people are going to do it. And for the very least, we should prepare for it. What's the saying? If you want peace, prepare for war. It feels very similar to that. Yeah, and that's pretty much the point is is that we're we're past the we're past the point where we can just not do this. Everyone else has done it. They're going to continue to do it. it. At home. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. And I, I think the. The government needs to start preparing for what that means globally, whether that's how it's going to affect trade, how it's going to affect national defense. I mean, to a lesser extent, how it's going to affect culture. I mean, I don't, I'm not really, I don't think the government's going to be ahead of that. But at least on the, the defense phase, I, I think we need to start working on the possibility of, of something like this, some engineered virus coming out of somewhere. Oh, yes. Or whatever it is. Whether it be, you know, a certain country making super soldiers or an or, or organization what, gone rogue. Yeah, Cobra, whatever. <laughs> I'm so happy you picked that up. Uh, 
And also, Nick, this is weird, but I'm also feeling a split in humanity because of CRISPR. Like, I'm not talking like we're going to have people who are fish mermaids, which actually might be a possibility. But I'm talking like we may have two class of people, modified versus natural people. And I can see that being a very heated culture war of natty versus modified. Well, that's the big fear, too, is initially this, you know, gene editing for children, you know, for your children is only going to be available for rich people. That's why I'm happy it's right now still available for the in-garage scientists, because that makes it, it, it shows how cheap it actually is, and it allows every person to at least have the opportunity to to do it. But if it starts getting regulated, then, Nick, I'll be honest with you, I can only see the rich of the rich having access to it. Right, and that's a fear that when only the rich have access to it, then they're going to use it, and then next generation, you know, they're going to have a leg up, and eventually there's going to be, like you said, a split, you know, depending on when patents run out and pricing and, and how that all works, you could see, like you're talking about, a split. And, and that's one of the big things socially that people are worried about is how is this going to affect us long-term in the future? And that's why people have discussion of, you know, what traits are people going to select and is it going to breed diversity or is it going to breed homogene- uh, homogeneous? Uh, yes, homogeneous society. So, and and I couldn't tell you either way, but I, it's definitely a concern that that's that people have for good reason. But also, I don't want to be the first one to do it. So maybe let the rich people go first if they're so inclined. I mean, someone's got to try it out. Well, the rich people aren't going to go first. They're going to have experimented on poor people first, and then when it's safe, then make it exclusive only to themselves. That's what. That's what sure I would imagine would actually happen. Not quite sure if it's actually true. But yeah, it's uh this is all very concerning, Nick, and I have once again no idea where the future's going. It's almost like a flip of a coin. Is it going to end today or will it end tomorrow? I'll flip a quarter and find out. Well, that's all I had. So before we get out of here, Mike, what have you been reading? I am still reading Geometry for Ocelots by Exterium. I have uh, not had the opportunity to read at all this like past three weeks, unfortunately. But hopefully I'll have more time next week. What about you? What book are you reading? Still on the same page of Wood by Rolandinos, How Wood Built Society and Civilization. So Nick, adulting's hard. Yeah, sure is, buddy. Sure is. And I do have a question for our listeners. What's the weirdest thing you can think of that CRISPR might be used for? And Nick, where could they tell us their answer to that question? You can tell us on our Instagram and Reddit at Backyard Philosophy Podcast. And who knows, if Elon Musk enters the DNA sequence of Twitter, we might <laughs> that genome might change. <laughs> See what I did there? It's my last pun. It's the last couple seconds of the podcast. I got to get one pun in. All right. I'll allow it. Ugh. Well, that being said, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. 
We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.